0: hey friends mike jay from sly flourish here with the lazy DD talk show for 11 july 2021 this is a show about it goes about an hour in which we talk about all kinds of things related to DD. things that might have happened over the past week things that are on my mind whatever whatever we happen people things that people bring up in our twitch chat this show like all of the work of sly flourish is brought to you by the patrons of sly flourish if you want to help support this show you can do so in four ways you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter, you can follow me here on YouTube, you can become a direct supporter of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up, or you can pick up my book, Return to the Lazy Dungeon Master. You can do all, all four ways. So, talking about pretty much anything we want. And let's see, to start off today, I, I think, is it the biggest news? I don't know if it's the biggest news or whatever, but but certainly there is a lot of attention being applied to uh, the D&D Magic the Gathering set in a couple of different directions how it relates for us Dungeons and Dragons players and how it relates to those who play Magic and I've kind of turned into both because I have started playing Magic again because of this so of interest to D&D folks are the fact that they're releasing it looks like they're releasing every week a free adventure for D&D and these, these have, if, if they have any connection to magic, I haven't seen it yet. There are two of them. The Hidden Page, I didn't capitalize that right. The Hidden Page and, the Scar- and In Scarlet Flames. These are both written by Will Hindmark, who I don't know, but I hear very good things about them from, from people that I know and respect. Oop, ignore that. So yeah, I've got them in reverse order. In Scarlet Flames is number one. So there's the link in Twitch chat. Anybody else, if anybody asks where they can get it, please, please pass it along. You can get it by going to the Magic the Gathering homepage on Wizards clicking on, and clicking on Story. It's sitting under there. I guess they have a story archive. So in Scarlet Flames, I talked a little bit about, there's some interesting stuff in here. And first of all, it's free. So, you know, we shouldn't be too, we shouldn't get too bent. But there's some odd things with the editing. The, the worst of which is that there are numbers for a map that doesn't exist. So we have the guard chamber, the moldering suppliers, rotten common room. There's, there's a whole bunch of different places to explore. And then you go to the map in the end. And the map doesn't have doesn't have any of those locations marked on it. There is no map for those places. There's really just the map for the end, and that's that's weird. I heard some friends of mine talking about it, and they're like, "Yeah, that's strange, but it's fine, it's fine." I'm like, "I don't know. You got a bunch of rooms without a map. That's an issue." So I think a map got lost somewhere. And given, and and you know, in my opinion, right? Like, I don't want to bash the adventure. It's free. It's fine. But given the quality of the maps, I don't think it's that hard to add another map that has the right room numbers on it. Like you know, Cobalt Press, the number two publisher in D&D, would have no problem at all grabbing a Dyson map and using a Dyson map. I wonder if that might have been the issue. I don't know. So, yeah, given, given, the, the, given the way the rest of this looks, it's a shockingly bad map. And then it's even worse because <laughs> the map is only half there. So that's a real shame. But again, you, you know, you get what you pay for. Right. I haven't really looked at the second one. The hidden page is is number two of this of these adventures. They are apparently about hunting red uh, a red wizard in particular, so Sword Coasty kind of stuff. Oh, look at this. So this one it got that actually has a Magic the setting right. A mage from the Sword Coast is trying to find a plane of existence known as Ravnica. Ah, okay. I don't know if these count as canon. I think they said they don't, which is probably, you know, which probably matters. Let's see at least if their map in here. Let's see if they, if they solve that problem. It looks like they did. Hey, here's a map. It's quality quality level is not getting much better, is it? But at least it's got numbers on it. And the numbers correspond to the, to the right thing. Here's another map of different styles. That's kind of interesting. What, yeah, I wonder, you know, I don't know. Again, like these are the quality of the maps that I send in when I'm asking for a map order. So, but you know, hey, again, free. So I haven't looked at the adventure at all. And maybe the adventure is fantastic. And the price is right. You know, like I'll download them and then check them out. We noticed some, some friends and I were looking at it noticed there's no editor listed on this either. You know, that's not great. You know, you should get an editor and it's like, it's going to be, it's a huge, as far as I can tell like they said that they can't like like we're really sorry but we're not going to be the the the, we're going to be supply constrained on this magic the gathering set which means pieces of expensive cardboard are too hard for us to produce to keep up with the demand (laughs) right like seriously like i mean that's fine but that means that they're going to be bathing in money and they can't afford a cartographer now again probably and they can't afford an editor right like they can certainly afford it now. Probably it was a timeline thing. We wanted to. Evil John says it's not the cardboard. Is that not the, what was supplying? I mean, what's the supply constraint? They said that like we're pretty sure that the stores are not going to get as many as they need. I guess it's shipping, right? So shipping, shipping slices of cardboard. My point is that like the material costs are pretty low. Shipping costs. You'd think in the last thirty years they would have figured that out. And granted, you know. I guess container shipping containers are running $20,000 instead of $5,000 to ship. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Right. I get it. But for 30 years, (laughs) yeah, I get it. Right. My, my, I guess my, my point is like they're going to be bathing in money with this set, right? They got me to pay money for it and I didn't even buy physical cards yet. I bought digital cards and they, and I paid money for it. So the money's there to hire a cartographer to pay the whatever, you know, one to $300 it costs to make a map. For an adventure, you're going to give away as a major promo for your new set, and hiring an editor for you know a couple thousand dollars to, to edit your to edit your thing, if you even a couple thousand, I bet I bet it's not hundreds, right? So my point is, you could put a little bit more effort into your promo event, which is a shame because it's probably great. And again, I heard I've I've heard from everybody that says that the writer's really good. I don't want to complain too, and it's free, so whatever, you know, go get it, and that's cool. Everything everything's cool. But when you're the number one company for this kind of thing, you think like you could've hired some people but i I bet you it's a production issue i bet like it was a last minute oh my god we got to get this thing out the door because it's got to be released when the set is released i guess right and you know we don't have i do wonder it wouldn't you know i'm making this up i have no idea if this is true but i do wonder if like they started with dyson maps and like we can't include dyson maps in our promo even if they were commercially given away because dyson gives his map away for commercial use you know so uh, there was a Twitter thread on the other day about why shipping is killing the business of indie board game designers. That's really interesting. Bugs. As somebody who is about to, not about to, but will soon be running a Kickstarter and is considering having pallets of books shipped around the, country, the world, I'm very concerned about this, but I'm going to be working with people who can hopefully help me with this problem because I want to make sure I get nice books in people's hands. So we'll figure that out. Anyway, these are very interesting. I mean, they're they're interesting. They're free. You can check them out. You know, again, you go to this story page. So you go to the Magic the Gathering homepage. You click on, in this case, the hamburger, and you go to story. If your screen is wide enough, you don't have to go to story. And right at the top, you got the Scarlet Frames and Hidden Page. I think it's two of five. So I think that there are three more uh, of these adventures coming out, which is kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Nice freebie bowl promo. So the other, i should turn all these into checkboxes. Do, 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 turn into checkboxes. So I've been playing Magic event. This got me, you know, so I played Magic. Actually, Magic dragged me away from D&D when I was in college back in the mid 90s. So in the early 90s, I was playing D&D. And in the mid 90s, I worked at a software store called Babbage's with my friends and we got it we, we were very we were like why is our software store our computer s- store selling cards but then we got into it and and man we played the hell out of it in college we played a lot of it in college and uh, that was way fun so then i i stopped yeah babbage's poor went out they turned into gamestop which is now like number one company in the world i think it's bigger than apple according to reddit so so i haven't played i, I don't know when i stopped playing I guess it was also in college. I think we stopped playing in college. Never really got into the other sets. And then played like little bits here and there once I once I moved to moved to where I live now. And then stopped playing and got back into D&D. I played D&D for 20 years, right? And it's been 20 years I've been playing D&D exclusively. And I, I've known about Magic and every so often I'll kind of like take a look. And you know, there's friends of mine, Dave Chalker, who I know is huge into Magic and stuff like that. And I've got other friends that are big into Magic, but I hadn't played. And then they did this D&D thing right? And I'm like, wait, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. It'd be really cool to kind of see d d cards that I know and love and see them played in Magic. And I know enough Magic to play. So I, but I'm like, I don't know how to play, right? Like, I don't even know how to do this. And physical cards, like, I don't know who I'd play with, but I've played Hearthstone. i played a lot of Hearthstone. So I'm like, okay, I know how online card games work. So I'll play, I'll play Arena. I'll try Arena. So I put Arena on, on my phone and on my tablet, and I went through the tutorials and played those, and that was fun. And then i I decided I thought that the kind of the best way for me to 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 play relatively cheaply was to do the sealed deck league, the sealed deck games. So you I think you it's about ten bucks or twelve bucks, I think, to play. I think it's, yeah. It's 16, $10 buys you 1,600 things. It's a little bit more. So it's about, 12, I think it's like $12.50. So $12.50 gets you into a sealed deck group. And you get, I think it's some number of booster packs that you open. And then you build a 40-card, and you get a bunch of lands. And you get a 40-card you build a forty-card deck from the cards that you got in there, and the cool bit is because it cost you twelve dollars and fifty cents to get in. Those cards are then tied to your account, so you have those cards later if you want to play in a standard. You know, if you want to build a real deck and play in standard. You you have that, but in the meantime, it's like a cheap way to just play, right? Build a deck with these new cards and play, and I did, and I played my first game and lost, and I said it's very likely I'm going to lose three games in a row. But then I started winning, and I won four games, and now I'm I'm down to I, you know, I'm I'm four to two right now, right? I've won four games, I've lost two games. I'm playing a white black a black white deck. That has it's mostly a weenie horde. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go back. I remember old strategies that I played when I did sealed deck leagues back in the '90s. And it's like play small creatures that only require one type of mana. Try to play two colors if you can. If you have enough cards, play two color. Right. And I, I luckily I have enough white and black cards to play two color. So I'm, I'm able to play a two color 40 card deck. Everything has a relatively low casting cost. I think I have a couple of creatures that have like a five. I have, I think I have one five, one four and everything else costs less, you know, twos and threes, which means if I can get the upper hand early, I can do okay, but I get my ass kicked if I go long. And today I went long and they pulled out like the Xanathar card and kicked my ass with the Xanathar card. So, but it was cool. Like seeing how the Xanathar card works. I had like a ghoul wielding a Vorpal sword, which was fun. You know, there's, there's sort of a lot of neat mechanics in the game. I haven't done like dungeon delving stuff, but it was fun to To be able to play Magic with d and theme over it. I like it. I like the cards. I've gotten my, did I get my 12? Like if I stopped playing, would I got $12.50 out of it? Probably not. I don't know. That's a, like $12.50. Like you can buy a full game for it. But I've, you know, I've gotten a couple hours of fun out of it so far. So yeah, so it's not, yeah. And I'm playing on an iPad. I have a big iPad Pro and, and, it's, and it's nice on the iPad Pro. It burns that battery down. So I'll keep that sucker plugged in. But yeah, but it's, it's, it's been fun and I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed playing it. So that's, yeah, that's a good time. I, I kind of don't know, like, I guess what I would like, I don't know. So I guess, I don't know what my plan is. I, I now have a bunch of crystals. I've got 4,000 crystals so I could play in two more sealed decks. crystals are you know, this is how they get you, right? Is that the 1600 crystals for 10 bucks? and like but everything costs more than that so you really need to spend more and everything's divisible by like crazy odd numbers so but i have enough to play in two more sealed deck games which would then get me and you earn packs i think three packs or so so you earn more cards which means you sort of seal you can play sealed deck games up until you have enough cards to play standard right and then i could play standard with whatever cards i've picked up which might be fun And, and hopefully I don't drop a thousand dollars on it. My, I would, I would kind of hope, and I don't know if they do this in arena. I know that physically they have these commander decks that you can buy, but they're pretty expensive, but it's like a full playable hundred card deck, right? It's a great big deck that gives you good, a real interesting theme. I would, I would like to see if in arena, they have some of theme instead of me just buying piles of random cards until I can build a deck. It would be kind of cool if I could build like a theme deck, right? Or I could, I could buy a theme deck and then play for a while with that theme deck. So we'll see. But I think like I, you know, with two more arena runs, which I already paid for, essentially, I think I've dropped about 25 bucks total for everything that I've gotten, and I've enough to play in two more arena games, maybe more. And I think that that's probably enough cards to be able to build a reasonable deck. That, you know, you're not going to have every rare and you're not going to be able to build like every single theme, but I think that I could have enough to play it. And, and so that's a fun, and, and honestly, at this point, what I need, what I'm, why am I doing this is I need another hobby. And the reason why is that the world of my, 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 my world here in D really has become, I don't, I hate to say it. I don't want to say it, but a second job, right? I have a second job. It's a great job and I love it. And I'm not, I know that people said the minute your hobby turns into your job is the minute you start to hate your job, but I don't hate my job. I love all this D&D stuff that I'm doing. I really, really enjoy it, but I'm doing a lot of work. And when I start to like work with publishers and distribution places, and I'm like hemming and hawing about how I'm going to do a print run for my next book. Oh my God, that doesn't feel like D&D, right? I'm still playing a lot of D&D. We're still talking a lot of D&D, but I need to like step away from D&D for a bit and play some D&D in Magic the Gathering, right? And we're talking in Discord and it's like I oh, painting minis would be another good thing. And I got piles of unpainted minis and I got lots of paint. So there's certainly an option there. <clears throat> but but I definitely need to have another outlet where I can kind of step away from, you know, checking Discord and making sure that there's no jerks on my YouTube comments and all that kind of stuff, you know. So there, there yeah, but it's all good. It's all good. So yeah, anyway, I've enjoyed it. Do I recommend it? I don't know. I, I don't know if I can recommend Magic to people. Like it it's money. And and so far they don't quite have like all of the different paid options that I would like. I think I would what I would like best is if they had some way for me to buy some theme decks and play with those theme decks for like 10 bucks a pop. Right. If they said $10 buys you a really cool black-white deck. $10 also buys you a really cool red-green deck or whatever. And I could buy like three or four preset decks and then enjoy those and play with those, plus throw all those cards into my collection and build decks. And I don't know if they do that in Arena. Somebody else who's played Arena can tell me if they ever do theme decks for like a set and and then those kind of go into your pool and then you can sort of build decks out of it. I just, the idea of buying everything random would would be a bit much. Yeah, I might I might try to make myself paint a mini again and just say like, all I have to do is paint one mini and then and then see if I can get kind of prime myself to, play, to paint minis again, because I enjoy painting it. I just don't need them that much. I've got thousands of minis, so I really don't need, so yeah. Let's review some products. So one thing I, I think I might do next week, I'm going to give a, a little preview for next week, which is I'm probably going to review some Patreon of some people's Patreon pages, because while while reviewing individual products is really good, there's a lot of interesting ways that the D&D hobby is changing when, that the D&D hobby is changing and how we get the material that's useful to us. And some of the most useful material I've been getting have been coming through Patreon creators, people that are creating on Patreon. So, I mean, yeah, the obvious one, like you want to know about the biggest Patreon one is Arcadia, right? So the Arcadia magazine by by, by Matt Colville, MCDM, James Interca, my friend James Intercasso is the is the, the lead editor of that. I think he's the lead editor of that. And I don't know what the title is, but I know he's the guy that's putting it together. And they are releasing Dragon Magazine quality magazines once a month through their Patreon. And it's a huge Patreon. Like I don't, you know, the fact that I even have to like advertise it, it means you know it doesn't it, like, like it doesn't need my help right i think i forget how many let's take a quick look they have like it's like 17000 backers or something they have 9340 patrons 9340 right crazy good and if you sign up for the $5 one you get access to all existing issues of arcadia so it's really tremendous and so that that one is an obvious patreon and that's an obvious example of how the industry is changing because of patreon but there are many others there are many other groups and they're making lots of different things everything from music we were talking about music tabletop audio tokens and miniatures printable heroes does a a fantastic patreon and and so there's lots of them anyway next week i'm going to review i'm going to pick two patreon patrons two patreon sites that i support that i love and we're going to review those but today we are going to review two uh pdf products but 1st I wanna wish my mother a happy birthday. Hi mom, you're here, and it's my mom's birthday today. Everybody wish my mom a happy birthday. All my friends. So the two, there's a lag before everybody says happy birthday. Happy birthday, yay. Happy birthday mom. So I have two products that I'm gonna talk about today. One of them is by my friend Dorian Chen, and the name of the product is Knife to Know You. Both of these products are your grimdark slasher horror kind of things which you know you've heard me talk in the past about like I wish D&D didn't have so much grimdark and the reality is like I don't mind it when that's clearly when that's clearly the theme and in these cases it's clearly the theme so knife to know you is a one-shot 5e ogl adventure my friend Dorian Chen Dorian Chin is the is the writer for it and she put together an adventure that is built around like t- teenage horror slasher movies And kind of teenage movies in general. So she put in here like uh, inspiration and themes for this adventure and includes like The Breakfast Club, Heather's, Riverdale, Music, Time Cop, Mitch Murder, Nina, and authors Christopher Pike. So she put some really kind of fun. And I would say like, but if you, I, I bet you, if you grabbed onto a lot of the 80s slasher movies, that fits this too. This is intended to be a one shot horror 5e adventure. And the layout and the fonts, right, she did a fantastic job with the layout and the fonts on this. It's really the whole theme of the adventure. Very, very good, strong... Front page about all of the all of the safety concern, you know, safety issues with this, and making sure your players are all on board so you can have a great time. Offers of consent in gaming, which I highly recommend, and the the, safe, the the TTRPG safety toolkit, which I also recommend. Both check those out if you haven't ever checked them out. They're they're good. Shorted, you know, short adventure, 18 pages, right? Which I think is great, right? I don't need a 36 page adventure for one shot. I'm 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 very happy with an 18 an 18 page one shot. Very So I'll tell you, so my, my wife and I are watching the streaming game Fantasy High. And when I'm watching Fantasy High, which is an outstanding live play show, really fun. The language is strong. So if you don't like strong language, it's probably not for you, but it's hysterical. And it's Fantasy High School. You know, it's, a, it's a John Waters fantasy game, right? And really fun. And a lot of the themes of that, like I can see this fit into that. Like it's got a lot of... You know, a lot of contemporary humor in a set in a fantasy game, and r- one of the things it has that's really neat. So it's standard SRD. You play with 5e stuff, and it has rules for duets if you want to play with just a DM and a player. It's got it's got recommendations on how to do that. It has a way to play with just using the commoner stat block, which would be really fun for a one shot. You don't want to have to do character generation, character creation, and you don't want sort of because it's this because it's this fantasy horror you know slasher genre you can you know having a weaker character kind of fits right instead of having like the superheroics not quite superheroics but certainly the high heroics of a, of a 5e game even at first level first level characters i'm sure would do fine and i think the intent is that it's a first level i'm almost sure it's a first level adventure uh first level adventure for one to four characters which means you can just grab a pregen and go as well but means you don't have like a ton of resources so I think that's really neat, like having phases of play. Uh, she put in here a system for if you die, everyone resets, and you kind of start back at the beginning. Would I expand on the de- the duet rules? Uh, Adventure works well in duet-style experience with one player and the sidekick character. Psychic should be a younger sibling or friend of the main character. Psychic should act as a foil to the main character's intention. Should not act, and it should. If the main character is too cautious, the sidekick is reckless. If the main character wants to keep something in secret, the sidekick is bursting and seems to reveal it. That's kind of an interesting take. Uh, Sidekick should never betray or countermand the main character's agency, but the primary role is the is to be the devil on the main character's shoulder. That's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if it has rules for like how to scale combat or anything like that for two two characters instead of five. But given that you're like you're intended to run with a or one way you can run is with a commoner stat block that could be really interesting. So where can you get this? Let me let me let me before we dig too deep. Really cool art. You know, let me. I guess I'm already in it. Really cool art. It's a three. It's sort of a th- uh, a three act. Adventure. I'm not going to spoil a lot of the theme of the adventure, but heavy on the exploration, a lot of interesting character stuff and, you know, going, going, you know, good, solid haunted house kind of adventure. So really fun, really good writing, neat art, great design. I highly recommend, you should, you should, if you are looking for like a fun one-shot Halloween adventure or just want to grab some friends and play a fun slasher adventure in your off time, this is a, this is the one I would go for. So this one is Knife to Know You. Let me grab the link. And paste it. Out. I lo- look look at the look look at the ad she did right. This like VCR style ad is so cool. So pick it up. It's on through RPG. Link is in Twitch. If you're watching on YouTube, the link is in the show notes below. You can you can grab it right there. Five bucks and worth it. And this is a good example. So I've I've talked in the past. I think when I was talking about 5e Hardcore Mode, about like 5e rappers. This is like a 5e. It's like a small 5e wrapper, right? It's taking 5e rules. You know how to play it, but it's saying things like, "Can you? Here's how to play with a commoner. Or here's how to play in a duet, right?" So it's adding slight, you know, slight, slight changes to how a typical 5e game works. Certainly, thematically, it's changing how the game works, and that that's that's really cool. So I highly recommend it. Pick up Knife to Know You on Drive RPG. The next one. Let's see. I need a drink. So the next one I had mentioned a few times in the past. If you go back into the 80s, was it early 90s? I think it was certainly, I think it was in the 80s when the satanic panic for D&D really picked up. And we always felt like it was a completely ridiculous notion that our D&D books, where we're just like a bunch of characters going and fighting orcs, and yet a whole bunch of, you know, a bunch of crazy people are, 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 you know, claiming that the spells are real and the jack chick tracks of like you know now I'm going to teach you the real spells and we're going to go be occult people and all this stuff and you're like how ridiculous is that and all I can say is if Morkberg had existed back then we wouldn't have much of an argument on the D&D side because Morkberg just grabs on to the occult nature of dark fantasy RPG and keeps going going and going and going and going and going and digging in deeper I would say that Morkberg is almost a piece of art as much as it is an RPG and, and I'll start off I love this book and I bought the physical one and I recommend if you buy it that you buy the physical one you can pick it up on Amazon for 27 bucks and I'm gonna paste that in and it is worth the 27 bucks I'm picking Amazon because I don't know. If you could buy it direct from them, they are the, the company is not a uh, US company. So if you're in the US, I don't know, and I think it's significantly cheaper to buy it this way too, you know, for whatever it's going to say. And it's one, it's shipping one day, which means it's sitting right now, it's, it's already in your house. Shipping one day means your neighbor has it and has been waiting for you to order it so they can sneak up and slide a copy of this book. It is a gorgeous, small, heavily, and you'll see when I flip through it, cr- the style, it is. 90% style look at that cover for it for, for crying out loud and this is what I mean like you know if, if your mom found this on your bookshelf when you're 13 years old in 1989 and saw this crazy devil headed skeleton with an upside down crucifix on its head you know you you're like yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> right, I don't really have any I don't really have a strong argument against the satanic panic when this is the So it is a black metal RPG. It is grim. It is brutal. The world is this the one where like the world is dying is like the main theme. Uh, right? It, it is packed. So it, it's definitely an old school RPG. If you if you think about old school OSR, old school renaissance kind of games. This is an OSR game. Very lightweight rules, very straightforward character creation rules and 90 95% theme and attitude, you know, than more so than rules and mechanics. Heavy on the Uh, random tables which I love you know if if you know me you know how much I love random tables and how I love to see random tables I love to see random tables shock the imagination so you have like d10 occult things a silver birdcage slays whatever is placed behind its bar slowly over one long night that which is killed reanimates twice as strong and as a raging uncontrollable undead right it's it's just dark stuff like this they have like you know, traps and deviltry, scorpion-filled basket poised to fall. Where was the fish hooks at eye level? That was my favorite. Fish hooks hanging at eye level, <laughs> right? Like there's just every aspect of it is built around. You know, look at the weather, right? So it's not like storms. It's lifeless gray, hammering rain, piercing wind. These adjectives are fantastic. Deafening storms, soup-thick mist, crackling frost. You know irritating drizzle everything is thematic every table is not hey weather is a storm or hot it is you know It every aspect of this drips i want to say literally but it's not literally but it's as close to literal as you can be without being literally every aspect is just drips the entire attitude of the game corpse plundering death mask of one of the character one of the pcs look at that like you find your own death mask on the guy where did that come from d66 right crazy so the whole thing I'm just going to flip through it because the art is so the, the, the design is so crazy right like you know hit points you know the, the wind from the west from the Sunderland really good like thematic text that just gets your head in the game without dumping a ton of text on you you know what was written must be right look at this look, look at that it just changes its style who would say that like crazy writing pink on black is the way do you want to go you know, literally can actually mean figuratively now, according to Merriam-Webster. No, I don't want them to change that because now I can't hold that over people. Thanks, millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole thing just, just you know, all, like this is the map of the world, right? Like that's how stylized this whole thing is. That's the world map, right? You can barely comprehend it, but that's what they're talking about. You know, locations, you know, every page that has its own crazy design. There you go. There's a nice picture. Right. And very thick with gore, you know, just powerful. The Psalms. Right. Really neat stuff. It does have. So you can sort of build a character from scratch. Right. Or it has uh, certain characters. Look at this. Here's the weapons. Right. It's got one page for each weapon. And and the mechanics are femur D4. Right. (laughs) But of course, it's a femur, not a club. So you roll a D10 to see like what weapon you have, you know? Here are all the different kinds of weapon types, knife, you know, arrows, bow. I mean, it uses this as its table for what weapon you pick, right? Amazing, amazing ideas here. How armor works, equipment. Abilities and tests. Very straightforward. Like it's got ability scores and bonuses and you just roll and off you go. It is really, really... Yeah, so... Th- th- right, so Rogan Gratz says, you know... Rogan Gratz says, uh, hugely inspiring, but because it can be very jarring to the usual D&D safety tools and it's explicitly giving flavor during, during a game is crucial. Yes, you definitely want to talk with your players before you run this. For some... You know, <laughs> there's a human heart for hit, hit points. So it goes on and on. Really cool. And then the physical book has, like, reflective pages. So there's parts that are, like, reflective chrome. It's crazy what they did. So if you're into that, if you want, like, the darkest of the dark, if Shadow of the Demon Lord, if Robert Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord was too pedestrian for you, if you felt like it really didn't, you know, while it tried to get into the depths of of a dark fantasy game, but didn't really get there, this is the book you want to pick up. And if this isn't dark enough for you, I can't help you. And probably no one can, and probably you shouldn't, you shouldn't leave the house. You probably shouldn't go anywhere, because you're, yeah. Really neat. What else can I say about this? Cool monsters? Oh, so there's one thing that I think is pretty profound with a book like this. Given, given this incredibly brutal, incredibly dark, you know, themes, they've managed to do it without being a bunch of, without, as far as I can tell, Any clear racist tropes or any clear misogynist tropes? right? Like I was, I was looking at another OSR game that came well recommended. And I opened up the PDF because I'm, I'm kind of like, I want to look across the board at all different kinds of products from brand new stuff to, I want to look at brand new stuff to, to, you know, classic stuff, old stuff and, and OSR, right? There's a lot of neat things that are coming out of OSR. So I picked up an OSR, I'm not going to name it, but I picked up an OSR, an OSR book, an old school kind of RPG. I was flipping through it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then they have like character portraits for all of the main characters. And I think there's only like and one of them was a wizard and the wizard is a female and she's topless and i'm like why is there a topless wizard as the only option for the wizard for the picture and like what if i was like wanting to play this game with people i hadn't met and i'm like here are your character classes and then put out a topless wizard as the number one one like the dudes are all wearing heavy armor the wizard's topless and i was like i mean it means i'm not gonna run it i'm not gonna recommend it right like you know, I understand that like Apocalypse World is a little like that, but Apocalypse World also has its own theme, right? It's 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 different. And this was meant to be just like a straight RPG. So I I like that they've managed to really grab onto th- this this, you know, dark metal style RPG, this this really really, you know, this really thematic style and still not delve into racist and misogynist tropes that have existed in old school gaming for a long time. I I'm I I think that is really interesting and shows you yeah do you need safety tools for this book? Oh my god, yes. And it's probably going to be like, you know, 20 page long legal document when you try to that you have to sign off in order to play a game like this. Look at these, I just like these traits, right? And but I'm 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 it's interesting to me that they could grab on with both hands and make a book like this and still not fall back on what we had in the 80s which was you know a lot of racist misogynist tropes so I'm, I'm i thought that was really interesting it was something and i might have missed stuff there's probably there might be people where they look at it and go, actually it's not as good as they think because you know i read it and i didn't see anything you know but but here we are so really if, if again more art book than rpg i made a character just to make one and that was fun just making a character was fun this isn't a game i want to run i like high fantasy right and, and and i know that my players for the most part like high fantasy so this isn't the kind of game that i would want to play I, I could see like if i hand selected certain players like would i run it i might run it for like a one shot right and if i pick the right player i would i play in it yeah i would play in it definitely like i think it would be fun you know i would do it more from the instead of black metal more of the death metal from my understanding of the difference between black metal and death metal. uh, Death metal is a lot more self-deprecating and recognizes how funny it is. And death metal are generally cheery people. They just like death metal. Black metal on the other hand, they're they're into their world. So I would play it more from the death metal perspective of it's fun. It's so brutal. It's funny. And when I played like uh, Robert Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord, that's what it was like. It's, It's so dark and dismal. It's funny. This one, I think, could play a lot like that. But I don't, want so I don't want to run it. But is it inspiring? Yeah, it's inspiring. As a product, it's very inspiring. You know, as 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 seeing how you can grab theme so heavily and and make ninety five percent of your RPG product about theme. You know, you know that's where that's where it goes. Uh, these are some of the character options that you can choose that are built into the game, right? And as you can see, a stoic hermit, right? Wretched royalty, heretical priest, occult herb herb master. So really cool. I just love the, you know, I love the style. Seth, Seth Goblin, the bent. And then it has monsters, right? And the monsters are are, are really, there's, oh, these are monsters. Lich. Hey, it's got a lich. I like anyone that's got a lich, a troll. You know, really neat lady porcelain. Isn't that freaky? This is some freaky stuff. So, yeah, do I like I do I recommend it for everybody? No, I mean, take a look at the previews and see if this is the kind of thing that's interesting. But if if the idea of a black metal RPG that's incredibly stylized and a a well put together product interests you, I recommend it. So I think we'll get off the screen. Because I don't know, it'll burn my screen. So those are your two reviews today. That was Knife to Know You by Dorian, Dorian Chin and Morkberg, which I I recommend both products. I think they're they're outstanding. Okay. There is a PDF. If you're not sure that you want to get Morkberg, the PDF is only 15 bucks. But for the extra 10, I can't imagine not getting. The physical one because the physical one and look the DTRPG gave us death pick it's very popular. It's a Mithril bestseller you know really good i have both i bought the both the pdf and the physical version and i was i bought them with my so this past week let's talk about downtime sessions i've talked about downtime i've written articles about downtime i don't know that i've had uh, i don't know if i've talked about downtime sessions let's go to slide flourish let's go to downtime Running downtime sessions. So, what a a downtime session? If you're not really familiar with it, one of the options that you have in D and D, if you think about the three types of gameplay that we have in D and D, which they describe as exploration, role playing, and combat, there's kind of a fourth, and that fourth is downtime. And if you think about like exploration and role playing, sort of has like minute to hour time frames. Downtime has days to week. Time frames. And it's sort of options where you say uh, in between sessions or at the beginning of a session, you might say 10 days have passed since you've finished your adventure exploring the cackling chasm. And you have an opportunity for downtime. What kinds of things would you like to do with your downtime? And the player's handbook has information in chapter eight of the player's handbook has a list of potential downtime activities. Xanathar's guide also expands upon this in chapter two and the dungeon master's guide has expansions of it in chapter six so in the two two of the three core books talk about downtime sessions and then xanathar's also has stuff about downtime sessions but you can also customize it which i highly recommend and the way there's some tricks to running a a downtime scene blades in the dark has excellent downtime. i really need to spend more time with blades in the dark i've got it sitting right here Trying to do it without hitting the mic. I right? got my copy of Blades in the Dark sitting within arm's reach. So I need to, you know, and boy, I keep pulling stuff from this that I know is in there. So I, I want to spend more time with Blades in the Dark. So yeah, it could, it, it definitely, you could, you could definitely see it. So there's some tricks though, because downtime, because it's not like a standard way that we play D&D, it can be weird to run it. It can be a little awkward to run it. And uh, so I, I tried to, I've run it a few times. I don't do it very often. I'll do it, you know, I don't know probably only two or three times in a campaign will I, will I run it. Uh, I reached out to Twitter to say like, how do you, what are some good keys for running good downtime sessions and got a lot of stuff back. And, and there was definitely like cohesion around certain ideas. And some of those were that you let the players know ahead of time that downtime is coming, right? Warn them. If you're gonna run it during a session, let them know a week early. Hey, at the beginning of our next session, we're going to have some downtime. Think about the kinds of things your character might want to, do. You, you can run downtime away from the table. You could do it one-on-one, say like in the 10 days, what did you do? And talk with somebody or do it over email or do it in, in text chat or however. You can also have people do it in email, say, you know, like we'll describe it in email or do it in Discord offline right this is an opportunity to hand the world over to the players they can they can sort of expand the world themselves you want to you want to define downtime options and and i'll talk more about this right but i think that that's really important frame events i don't even know what i meant by that clarify hooks i kind of don't know what i meant by that and if you regroup it isn't them you don't do them right like downtime is a weird one it's it's a little like skill challenges in 4e it's like it's an interesting concept but it's a little awkward to run and the answer might be it doesn't always run that well right so uh, Scipio says, what do you see as the, as the pros and cons of running it during a session versus asynchronously? So the advantage of doing it during a session is everybody is there. Everybody can hear what other people are doing and, and you can play off of one another. And you, have every, you generally have everyone's attention, at least as much as you're going to. If you play offline, it's highly likely some people are not going to engage because a lot of, I don't know if your groups are like my groups, but I have, I have a lot of players where they only... They only engage when they're at the table. They're not really engaged in between. And if, if they're not used to engaging in between sessions, they're, they're, they're probably not going to know to even do it. So that, that's a big one. The advantages of running it offline is that you're not wasting table time with it. And that wasting is kind of extreme. But you're not... Y- y- players have more opportunity to take more time when they're running it offline. You don't, you're not worried about taking too much time. One player taking too much time with their downtime. So... Yeah. So, so there are advantages and, and, and disadvantages to both. Right. So a, a couple of things. So I, I did one this past week for my Wednesday group. I said, we, you know, they got back from adventure. They had some downtime. And what I did is I, I, I wrote an email and I'm, I, I'm, I'm think I'm going to try to take some of the idea from the email. My own pop-up is bothering me. I'm going to, oh, I did. So I put some of it in here. I did update this. Right. And I think it's like you can send out an email and say, here are some general downtime activities you can take, right? And then here are some, and these are the general runs, right? Here's a combined list of the da- standard downtime activities in Player's Guide and Dungeon Master's Guide, right? And, and these Xanathars picks up of these. So you could say, here's a bunch of things that you might do during your downtime, and then you can offer a few. And what I like to do is you can almost, if you're, if you're willing to prep your game early... You can sit down and go through the characters and say, "What do I think the characters might be interested in doing during their downtime?" I know, for example, that Silserin is interested in becoming a blacksmith. Right? He's a he's a elven or he's a firbolg ranger, but he's interested in becoming a blacksmith. So I said, "You know, during your downtime, you could spend time with the black iron dwarves and learn more about blacksmithing." And someone else said, "Oh, I want to find. I want to go commit and get fi- finish the commission on the heavy on the on the plate armor that I was interested in." And you say, "Okay." And, you know, so you, you you look at each character and say, like, here are the things that I think the player is going to be interested in their character doing during downtime and just offer it. And a lot of times they go, yeah, that, you know, yeah, that one, right? You can also pick story hooks and say, like, I know that you guys have the the Book of Throne, which you got from the Dark Priest. Do you want to explore the Book of Throne, right? And that can be an option. And they might say, no, we're not opening that curse thing. Are you kidding? Last time we did, a gibbering mouther popped up. And, you know, but then they might say... Yeah, let's open it. Oh, my God, a jimmy mouther popped up. So I think it really helps. To me, like, a good way to run it is you, you warn them ahead of time. You say, like, you have an option, you know, now that we finish this adventure, or now that we finish this part of this this quest... You have the option for spending about 10 days in the city of 10 towns for, for downtime activities. Here's a bunch, you know, and then in an email, I would send this in an email. I would send it pretty soon after the game finished so they have like some time. And I'd say, here's a list of just general things you can do if you're interested. Carousing, crafting a magic item, you know, all the, all the ones that are here. And you might pull things out of here if you're like, they're not going to be able to do it. Like building a stronghold, you might say, they're not going to build a stronghold, so I'm going to cut that out. So, you know, don't put things in there you don't want them to do. And then you might say those are some general ones and then here's some specific ones and then you list the specific ones and let them know like you know pick one or two of these things that you'd like to do and and if you're interested then we'll talk about them in the beginning of the next game and that way they come to the next game and everybody sort of knows that they had it and they don't have to engage they could be like no i'm cool right and and maybe it's a slow time right it's not a fast-paced high action game it, it breaks the strong start a little bit because you it doesn't have a strong start. You're starting with what are the downtime things that you did? But it can work. It's not the kind of thing you probably want to do most often. Here's an example of, here are the examples of some specific downtime activities. These were from, my Ghost of Saltmarsh game, right? It was six things that I, that I threw on the table. Do so they want to research the Black Hunger, the ink black whale that sunk so many ships? Do so they want to meet the local wizard, Kaladek? Pick up rumors about the empty nest, hunt for Ned Shakeshaft to the elusive spy, conduct ceremonies at the Druid's Grove or the Temple of Prokan. research the Endless Nadar, right? So these were very specific Ghost of Saltmarsh things. And then the, the dirty trick is, one dirty trick is, while you're... Since you're writing out specific ones, you can be pretty confident the players are going to say, ooh, that sounds cool. You're throwing options in front of them. They, you're not railroading them because they can say no and they can choose something else. But they, they, you, you say, like, here are some suggestions. And then you build your secrets around these because you're pretty sure they're going to come up. So you can think about, like, what is the Black Hunger? What information about the city? The Wizard Kaledak? What are what, what are some rumors swirling around the game? You know, where might they find Ned Shakeshaft? You know, what's going on with him? You know, what might they learn from... Ceremonies at the Druid's Grove or the Temple of Prokhan, Or what might they learn about the Endless Nadar? So you know you already have the prompts because you're giving the prompts to them to then investigate it and then you already have the answers because you knew what the questions were, right? So it's a good lazy trick for building out the story through the activities of the characters and giving the players agency to choose what they want but still coming back with interesting things. And that means you really need to have a pile of secrets. So like when I run a downtime session, I might have 20 secrets and clues before instead of 10 because they're going to be a lot you're going to be dumping secrets and clues hopefully like crazy in the beginning of your game and then you're still running a game after that where you need more secrets and clues so throwing it out there throwing it out there really works and then you can kind of put in small adventures one thing i did is like i knew when they were opening up the book of Throne, this happened in my last game I, I knew that if they if they chose to break open up the book of thrune i i made sure that all the player all the characters were around so, that if things went bad with the Book of Throne, and they did, and a gibbering mouth, a powerful gibbering mouther pops up, and it did, the, all the characters are there and can get into the fight rather than, oh, I was off at the temple, so I wasn't there. So, unless the player, you, you can kind of telegraph to them, you may wanna be there, right? And they'll go, oh, okay. And it's okay, because this is a game. And you can, you know, if you're saying, if you're just nudging towards the fun, is a fine activity, it's not railroading. You don't have to act the way the world acted. You're nudging. Nudge them in the direction. You know, I think that's a good way to go. So, but it is a very different kind of DD, right? Running downtime sessions is a very different kind of DD. And you may not be for you. And, and you might try it and hate it. And there's some other things I should put in here. I should really I, I updated the article, but I should update it again. It's also long. It needs to be edited down. And something else that I would recommend is that, like, you want to make sure that, generally speaking, every character has one downtime activity that you want to talk to. And make sure everybody's involved and go around the table like it's initiative. You know, make sure that you're giving equal screen time to each of the players. I had one player who said, I have two things I want to do. And you're like, OK, but, we're gonna, you know, maybe we'll do one and then we'll go around and do another and then we're done. All right. But you don't. It's very easy for very creative players to grab onto a lot of the spotlight and players who aren't really. They're, they're, you know, aren't really there might back off and it's but you want to make sure to say like you don't want to push too hard if they say I, I'm good I'm just going to you know relax okay great and you might say do you want to roll on the carousing table and see what happens right we have two different carousing tables you know You can kind of pull the thread a little bit. Give give something to the the person who's not all that engaged and make sure that the people who are super engaged are not too engaged that they're taking up all the time. So that's part of the facilitation that a a DM has to do, right? We have to facilitate to make sure that we're running an even balance of fun across the board rather than this person's having a great time, this person's hating life. Although sometimes maybe they just want a break, right? It's okay. If a player is sitting on their phone, are they happy? That might be okay, right? If they're not totally engaged and the other player is, it's probably okay. Right? Or I'll take time and, and, and relax. So yeah, hang out with a loose grip as we do with our things, but that is, that is pretty good. So it is already pretty close to the end of the show. So I don't think, I guess I'll just tease the idea that my Wednesday group for the first time in like almost a year and a half, pretty close to a year and a half, we stopped playing in person in March of 2020 and it is now July of 2021 and for the first time we're going to have players back at the table. Everybody's vaccinated and, and everybody's coming to the table and it's going to be crazy. Like that that's going to be wild. So we're going to hear what that's like. I'm going to, next week I'll talk about like returning to the physical, you know, returning to the physical table and what that's like and is it can I do it, right? Have I lost all of my skills? Because I've been doing everything online. Like, what's it going to be like not playing with Discord? What's it going to be like when I, have, I can't copy and paste a digital map? How does that even work? Right? Weird. Weird. So we're going to find out. I did a little practice session. My wife and I played a one-on-one game, and I played with just tabletop stuff. So I know I can do it. But boy, is it weird. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have to see. So that is it for today's episode of the Lazy D&D Talk Show. Uh, I want to thank everybody on Twitch for hanging out with me. Uh, thank you very much for watching the show. Uh, if you like the show and you want to support me, you can do so in four ways. One, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Two, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get a and d tip sent directly to your inbox every... Tuesday? Every Tuesday. Three, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish Patreon. This is the best way to support me directly, and you get a lot of really good exclusive stuff, but most important, you help support shows like this. Or four, you can pick up any of my books, but in particular, you would probably enjoy Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master or the Lazy DM's workbook. Thank you very much for watching the show. Have a great day.